0: hello and welcome to another edition of policy pod in this episode we have an invigorating conversation with professor dame wendy hall which charts her career all the way from bbc computers through to her recent uk government report on artificial intelligence a link to which you can find available in the show notes along the way we'll discuss how universities can support early career researchers how working with the media can help engaging with government and what it's really like to work on a major policy piece for government so without further ado Here we go. So I I think that would be really nice to be able to kick off and have uh, an idea of your uh, your academic resume, uh, which has brought you to this uh, very exciting meeting in your office today.
1: Uh, My career is quite long. We don't. I mean, it's all over the. There's a lot of it recorded on the web, so I don't need to go back too far. I was a mathematician. I did my degrees at Southampton. Mm Um, never and when I was a mathematician, when I was um, doing my math degrees in the seventies, uh, there were there were no computers. Well, there were there were big mainframes, but uh, we had a, a computing class, and I I hated it. Mm-hmm. I really didn't enjoy punch cards and paper tape, <laughs> waiting twenty four hours for your ten line program to be compiled, and then find it was wrong because there was a, a a full stop missing. So I I loved pure mathematics, but mm-hmm. When I graduated with my PhD I couldn't get the sort of job I wanted and um, I really wanted to stay in universities and be in a research um, university mm-hmm. but um, I couldn't get a job in a maths department, there just weren't enough around, I wasn't getting interviews so uh, I I was teaching maths to engineers first in, at Oxford Poly as it was then and then down in Southampton at the teacher training college at Santa Union and the personal computers came out, the BBC B's and the Sinclair Spectrums mm-hmm. and the Commodore Pets and the head of the maths department at LSU asked me to set up a course in basic computing, that's basic, the programming mm-hmm. language
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I, he said you're a mathematician Wendy, you must be able to do this computing, it's and I, I with some trepidation I took a Commodore Pet home one summer and and taught myself basic. Mm-hmm. So according to Edgar Dykstra, a famous computer scientist, uh, I'm mentally mutilated for life because my first programming language was basic, which is probably true. But I've always used what I could see at that point. I got very quickly into um, the idea that you could put pictures and graphics mm-hmm. and video on computers and, and interact with it, and mm-hmm. text, of course. Mm-hmm. But in those days, that was science fiction. Mm-hmm and um, we had to do a lot of work to get all the stuff onto the computers um, but I could see what was going to be possible down the line and I think that's what the abstract um, thinker in me the pure mathematician in me enables me to look at the future without getting too bogged down about how we're actually going to build these things and uh, so I applied for a job back at Southampton in computer science and got it and um, my pure math professors thought I was mad. But anyway, um, the rest, as they say, is history by Professor David Barron, who was head of department in computer science at Southampton, encouraged me to get into what we now call multimedia. Mm -hmm. Um, And I started playing with the video discs, the 12-inch analog video discs, and um, doing things with the doomsday discs. And, and, And then I got into this thing called hypermedia, and we started building a hypermedia system called microcosm over in CERN Tim Berners-Lee was building the web, we got talking to each other at conferences and that's how I started working with him and gradually the web became quite very dominant and uh, I moved into working in the web but also had the ideas that we had from microcosm were still very much in my mind as uh, the right way to do these things. And um, but I realised at the time that that became very sexy in, um, as the web broke and um, you know, the public started, people started to mm-hmm. use it, be aware of it. We had the dot-com boom and bust. Mm-hmm. And uh, over the 90s, as things emerged, it became um, a big story. And the fact that I was doing multimedia as well was also a big story. Mm-hmm. So I got started doing press stuff then. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that was when I found that I quite enjoyed it, um, talking about what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, And I also, um, at that point as well, I started, I can't remember the exact details, but that was the time when I also started talking to government Mm -hmm. about what the impact of this technology Mm -hmm. might Mm -hmm. be um, in both education, but also in industry. So I've been doing this type of media and government work Mm -hmm. since the 90s.
0: And how was your uh, initial um, uh, foray away, away from uh, from well, from academia into government at, at, at that stage in the in the nineties? Was there a lot of education on your behalf that needed to happen? Did government <laughs> know what it was nothing. asking for?
1: <laughs> no, there was no. I mean, it's like so many things. I just had to learn how to do it. I mean, when I came to Southampton, computer science had seven lecturers, one professor, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, our First year intake was 20 students, okay. I think 16 actually, our first degree course in 1984 when I came back. It was first year on the degree course, mm-hmm. was 16
0: students. And sitting as we are today in the Web Science Institute at the <laughs> it University part of Southampton.
1: <laughs> it's part of ECS, none yep. of that existed then and we were not known for research at all. Mm-hmm. Um, David Barron was very well known as a book writer. Mm-hmm. Um, and he came from the Cambridge, the Morris Wilkes stable in Cambridge, so a well known computer scientist. But he wasn't, he wrote books, he didn't think about having to, I don't think he ever wrote a research proposal till mm-hmm. he retired, mm-hmm. you know, that wasn't what they did. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Um,
1: he didn't write papers either, really. Um, and our first referee term was absolutely abysmal for computer <laughs> science. But the university and its wisdom. Um, saw what was happening, wanted to invest in computer science, but we weren't a strong enough department on our own. Mm-hmm. We'd grown out of maths, really. Mm-hmm. We were tiny. We weren't strong enough to to invest the money just in us. Mm-hmm. So what they did, um, and I see now that in those days I was a, uh, a lecturer. This is the this is like 1987. I was a young lecturer, so I had I didn't really know what went on at the top levels of the university. But they, they decided they would merge computer science with um, uh, the electronics department mm-hmm. which was has always been and still is absolutely first class in mm-hmm. Southampton in both education and research. Mm-hmm. On the basis that we'd be stronger together and if they put us into this engineering department, the engineering faculty of computer science would grow. Because David always ran it as a software engineering mm-hmm. department, mm-hmm. we were not a theoretical computer science group. And there was a huge amount of resistance. It didn't, we didn't want it to happen, nor did the electronics, electrical engineers either. But <laughs> um, uh, they, they made the merger, we moved into engineering. And uh, I have to say, it was absolutely the, the best thing to happen to computer science at Southampton. It had grown you know, from strength to strength mm-hmm. since mm-hmm. then. And for me personally as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it gave me the... A strong platform mm-hmm. on which to grow mm-hmm. and to learn how to do this stuff but there was nothing about there was no help with doing getting your research going how to mm-hmm. write a research paper how to write a research proposal there was nobody around to show you how to do mm-hmm. it you know
0: because so so getting in on the ground floor or you know um, making it up as you're going yeah, along. You, oh. yeah.
1: <laughs> and things like working with government where well, you just um, my first, actually I'm thinking about it, my first interaction with government was because of the the multimedia and the government putting computers in schools. Mm-hmm. So that that was my, f- I got in talking to the what was then the uh, DTI, tra- Trade yeah, and Industry. Oh, industry yeah. where they had their program to put computers in schools and because that's the sort of work I was doing and we were doing work, quite high profile work with the BBCB computers and video discs um, that got into the media. Mm-hmm. That's how my name was picked up then. So that was my first foray, a bit with the Department of Education. Um, but there was nothing like a policy unit to mm-hmm. help us, to train us as to what to do. You mm-hmm. just did it. Mm-hmm. There was no, I mean, my first media training was much later. So you just, <laughs> and I think, I suppose, I had a natural flair for it. I, yeah. I don't remember making too many mistakes. I'm quite forthright in what I say, so sometimes I don't toe the party line, not political party. I just mean, I'd, you know, I'm sometimes a bit extra in what I say, but I was quieter then, maybe less forthright. And I, I, I learned on the job, basically. Yeah.
0: yeah. So if we speed forward, to a recent AI review that you've completed when uh, Southampton is being a, an established centre for electronic computer science and and you're now at the stage of a professor and indeed Dane. How's the approach <laughs> this time round not being picked up from some press cuttings I assume? Um,
1: well I will just fill in a little gap before we get to that because I want to say to people the most important things I've done in my time there were no public policy units around to help us with that but Media training was hugely important. Southampton really helped me with that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was growing as a professor, I became a professor and I grew as a professor uh, when Howard Newby was Vice-Chancellor. And he was the Vice-Chancellor really took Southampton into the Russell Group and mm-hmm. research, became a research-led university. And he was very good for me. And he sent me mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, on leadership courses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they were invaluable. So training was important mm-hmm. in this. Um, and I got, uh, my first uh, honor was the C, I got a CBE Mm -hmm. in 2000 Mm -hmm. and that, I got that through the EPSRC because I'd been on the EPSRC council, which, and I got, was very early onto that. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was a lucky break for me Mm -hmm. and that got started to get my name into all sorts of circles. And I went on a a mission to India with Tony Blair, Mm -hmm. the, um, i at that point also got on the prime minister's council of science technology mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it was quite mm-hmm. i was sort of fast-tracked in or i fast-tracked myself one or the other <laughs> and that mission to india i met so many people on it um like paul nurse mm-hmm. who, who became latterly you know one of our most famous nobel prize winners and president of the royal society mm-hmm. um who else did i meet there so so many people i met on that trip who i've stayed friends with and known ever mm-hmm. since who mm-hmm. helped me network into the, and the, these people are all now the leaders, I mean Mark, Mark Walport mm-hmm. who now runs everything to do with research in the UK I met him on the Prime Minister's Council of Science and Technology because I wouldn't have met him through the Wellcome Trust, it's not my area mm-hmm. and it was those, it was that stepladder mm-hmm. effect that um, got me to the stage I got me eventually, you know all these committees I sit on get me got me the dame eventually um and uh you build up your confidence over time and your name gets known and it is almost about it is about who you know as Mm -hmm. much as what you know Mm -hmm. so
0: so take take those opportunities for for, for media training um i
1: nearly didn't yeah take the opportunity for media training i nearly didn't go on the india mission because i we were coming back from Australia. We'd been on holiday, my husband and I, in Australia for New Year's, New Christmas, New Year. It was a big holiday for us. We didn't have much money in those days. And I'd already booked my flight back to mm-hmm. the UK, and they wanted me to go to India that week. And I thought, how can I? I can't do that. I can't turn around from Australia and go to India. Yeah. And I thought, if I turn this down, this could be, you know, going on a mission to India with Tony Blair and all these amazing people. Yeah. Sponsored by the EPSRC to go on it, how can I turn that down? Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, I've, it was a turning point in my life. And, um, you know, it's, it is, um, you never know what things, some things you turn down, some things you accept. You never know which were, in retrospect, the right or yeah. wrong things, really, because you can't change the history. Um, but, Uh, That was a turning point for me, Mm -hmm. definitely, and if I'd have said no, it might have been very different.
0: And and, an excellent training in uh, getting used to spending loads of time flying from one place to another and your body clock slowly catching up with you. Absolutely,
1: yeah, I didn't enjoy flying in those days at all. I was frightened of flying actually, mm-hmm. I had a phobia about it and that got worse and worse and I eventually sorted it out with hypnotherapy and CBT so mm-hmm. I, I now love it but you have to be prepared to do things that are out of your comfort zone mm-hmm. sometimes mm-hmm. and deal with that jet lag. I mean I had to get off the plane from Australia, go home, unpack, pack and go up to Heathrow to catch a plane to India.
0: Yeah. And be in your, your best frame of mood then yeah. for, uh, for, for for the, the flight and the conversation yeah. and, and making the most of that of that, net, that was my first trip to India. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so yeah so by the time so now when you you know I've gone through so many things here head of department dean all this is all training Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. for confidence and being able to talk about with government about the issues of the day Mm -hmm. Um, being able to deal with budgets Mm -hmm. um, HR people Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, and uh, so a couple of good leadership courses on the way helped by Southampton um, so when last year I got the phone call about the AI review, uh, it came out of the blue, but when you look back at my career, you think that's how it came to me, because I was not particularly known as an AI researcher, although I had done AI, My initial foray into computer science was through AI. I was doing... working on what we called... we still do call them intelligent tutoring systems, which in the 80s was... Quite laughable, really. But we were always trying <laughs> to build it. Yeah, that? I mean, we yeah. were using prologue, and anyway, it doesn't matter. But it was the vision and the. Uh, um, but the. Um, so I have. I know. I know. I know. I know about AI, and I've. I've always had an interest because I've worked on the, with the semantic web with Tim and Nigel and people, and I. Um, uh, you know, always used it. I've never been an AI researcher as such but i've I've used the technology mm-hmm. but i' I'm, I'm well known as a computer scientist and someone who's quite balanced about who's I've been on the ref panels mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. I've been on two now I'm on the third ref panel I' I hate it, but you know, you sort of have to do it. <sighs> I swore never again. <sighs> do you remember Steve Redgrave, the hour, rower, mm-hmm. said, If you ever see me in a rowing boat again, shoot me. Well, I feel that about the ref panel, and I'm on the next one. Someone shoot me. Um, and uh, so it all, you know, it's sort of, you see why. And then I, so I, I'm sort of considered in the right place, at the right time. Mm-hmm. They needed an academic who could. Lead the AR review in partnership with an industrialist and they rang me out totally out of the blue.
0: So when uh, when that phone call comes, um, clearly your your diary is filled with with other things uh, that, are, that yeah. are going on at that time. You're not just waiting for for government no. to uh, to pick up the phone. No. What what happens for for you during that time as you start to consider that it. offer? You clear it immediately. <laughs>
1: no, 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 not immediately. But I have a brilliant PA. Mm-hmm. Um, who manages my diary? Um, she knows when phone calls come through from the Cabinet Office that you
0: start to get you ready. You start
1: to get, you know, you, you, you She finds me to yeah. take it. You, 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 you know. He said, "Well, I'm really busy, and I'm I'm going to be in Washington all over May." Oh, that doesn't matter. We don't, you know, we're not looking. They told me initially that they didn't want the review fin- finalised until. So they rang at the end of February. Mm-hmm. And we had the meeting at Ten Downing Street on the first of March, as twenty seventeen, and uh, to scope it, or to be told the scope of it. And they uh, they initially said, "Oh, we don't, we don't, we won't want the review to sort of September, October." I thought, "Oh, good, you know, that gives us a bit of time." But actually, they didn't mean that at all. They actually wanted the first draft of the review with our dra- initial recommendations by. The middle of April, right? Okay, which is six weeks.
0: Yeah, which is in the it's well, no time in the world of academia. Uh, it's the blink of an eye, right? Yeah,
1: <laughs> uh, no time to really consult with people. Um, my co-chair was a guy called Jerome Pesenti, who is an American who lives in New York. Mm-hmm. He was running a company called Benevolent AI at the time mm-hmm. in the UK, so he was in London every other week.
0: Right. Okay. We
1: rarely were in London at the same time because mm-hmm. my fl- my Diary was full of trips that I couldn't cancel. Mm-hmm. Uh, what gets moved around are the meetings is, you know, a home mm-hmm. in South Southampton or in London. But um, so we hardly saw each other. We did the whole thing on WhatsApp. Right. Okay. But we had a brilliant, brilliant team mm-hmm. of civil servants helping mm-hmm. us. Two in particular, one from Bayes and one from DCMS, mm-hmm. uh, Dev Amarati and Ben Halls, and they were just brilliant. They really ran it under Mm -hmm. our chair, Mm -hmm. chairmanship, I shouldn't say Mm -hmm. that, under us being chairs, and um, uh, Dev organised, Dev was based and he organised all the meetings and the workshops to do the consulting we could and Ben was a great writer, Mm -hmm. and it was all about teamwork, Mm -hmm. that that review was produced by four people essentially, with lots of help Mm -hmm. from Mm -hmm. all sorts of people, academia, industry and government, but it was basically a team of four people that produced a set of draft recommendations for mid-April, we went into the number 10. Didn't, never, I haven't seen Theresa May in any of this, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I saw her people in number 10, and um, they they didn't like it at all, really, what we, we were saying.
0: Right, okay. It was
1: okay, but they wanted some spark and pizzazz, mm-hmm. uh, so we went away. And gave it some spark, and (laughs) (laughs) had more consultations, and we had to deliver our final set of recommendations, and effectively the final report, bar the, you know, the the sort of strict editing for just typos and grammar. By the middle of July.
0: Right. Okay. So that is a phenomenal turnaround mm. for such a a, a, a wacky time of, uh, of recommendations. Yeah. So if we if we jump to the uh, uh, to the recommendations of the of where the the UK is currently with with AI and where it needs to go, what are the what are the crucial things for, for government and and also for higher education institutions in your So... <laughs>
1: It's interesting we're, we're having this interview on the day that you might be about to say this when Theresa May's making a big speech about about AI and the National Health Service today mm-hmm. which I, I didn't know much about before because I'm now post review so my job's mm-hmm. done mm-hmm. and in fact the, the wonderful news is that they did you know we became a sector deal mm-hmm. and you can't get better in a way you can't get better than that mm-hmm. this was an industry facing review mm-hmm. So we're not, we a sector deal. The money was in the budget. They've they took a long time to actually launch the sector deal. Far too long, in my opinion. But but they, that meant they had to put more money in because the French had uh, done one in the meantime. And so we've got you know a lot of impetus behind. And the sector deal is effectively their response to our review, mm-hmm. which means tick. They liked it. Mm-hmm. You know that's mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, so my job is done in terms of the review, and I don't know how much influence if, oh, at all I'll have over what happens next. But the, the thing I keep saying is that, and we tried to say in the review, was the, the UK has a fantastic legacy in AI. You know, we, Turing invented it effectively, and we've always had brilliant research groups in ai in the uk through all the ai winters we've you know we have amazing ai startups more almost twice as many as the rest of europe put together not as big as silicon valley or what's happening in china they've got the scale but we have brains mm-hmm. and we uh, and and we have ability in this area and what we need to do is what we said in the review Alright, we've got to set up the um, an environment in which industry can flourish in this country that 's all to do with getting access to data, having the skills workforce they need and we've got to we 've got to create a climate where existing industry can also adopt AI and government mm-hmm. and that 's what she's talking about with the health service today but there are no quick wins here and it 's a long it's a long, steady road we've got to take, and I think that's what we mapped out in the review. And if the government stick to that, then I think we'll be fine. But I would say that, wouldn't I? <laughs> oh,
0: I know that. That, that's a perfect note to finish it on. Thanks very much for your oh, time. My pleasure. So there we have it. I suppose if there's a summary and a sentence for this episode of PolicyPod, it's find time to grab opportunities to talk about your research with anyone who's interested in listening. One day it might be the Prime Minister. Many thanks to my wonderful guest, Professor Dame Wendy Hall, for sparing her time and her insight today. And thanks also to our producer, Aaron Little, for turning this conversation into the pod. As ever, there are links in the show notes. Previous editions are available via SoundCloud. And remember, rate us, recommend us, do tell people about the pod. If you have suggestions for future topics, please drop us a line at publicpolicy at southampton.ac.uk. Until next time, goodbye.